Okay, here we go. Parshas Mishpatim. And uh, where I found myself this week is actually kind of exciting. It's in, in, in old familiar territory for, uh, for myself, and I'll explain as we get into this. The story that we're actually in the middle of is the middle of the, of the, of the, of the Harsinai experience. <clears throat> we just had the Ten Commandments last week. And it interrupts, it's going to pick it up later, but it interrupts to start giving detailed laws. The halachas. And there's a reason why it interrupted the story right away. Rashi tells us right away that the point is to know that all these details and the intricacies, they're all given on Sinai just like the Ten Commandments. It's all one Torah. It was all given at the same time and we should treat it with such reverence. But practically, what you have in Mishpatim is a lot of, almost you'd call maybe a civil law, a lot of things that would come up in a civil dispute, damages, hurting each other, you know, your animal damages, you leave something out, somebody trips on it. You have a lot of different halachas that are in there. Of course, there are some of the other ones, but those make up a, a large bulk of mishpatim. And mishpatim literally means laws. I mean, we have so many words for laws, but I'll just help connect the dots here. A judge is called a shofet. So mishpatim are these laws, but they really are the type that would come up for a judge. And so that, that, those types of laws, by and large. The Nisim Shalom points us to a mysterious line in the Gemara in Baba Kama. We'll read this line and we'll see what the Nisim Shalom tells us about what this could possibly mean. And we're going to go into a, a, a really, really important, a really relevant point that I think we need to all churn over and uh, try and, and bring into our lives a little, a little bit more. A little bit more. Says the Gemara in Baba Kama. First line on the page. Omar Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda said, Haiman Diboi Lemehava Chasida. A person who wants to be pious. A person who wants to be a good person. More than just letter of the law, do what I need to and get away with it, a person who's truly trying to grow into being a great individual. Lekayim, what should they focus their energy on? Where should we put our focus? We want to be great individuals. Mili dinizikin, on matters of damages. That's what nizikin is. Matters of damages. Now the reason the Sikh brings us in this parasha is because these topics are discussed in this parasha. And he's trying to figure out, what? That's the secret to greatness? This is where we should focus our energy? On, on, on matter, matters of damages? This is the big problem with society nowadays? That uh, you're falling into my pit? I mean, these are like some of the examples, right? You've been you're tripping over, oh, sorry, tripping over something, you know, the, over here in Memphis, you certainly don't have it. In New York, at least, there's snowfall every year. And they demand that you shovel your own uh, sidewalk. So you could have a serious problem if you're a little bit lazy and, and somebody trips. Here, what, what, what's somebody going to trip over, you know? <laughs> the, the ice is only lasts about, you know, 40 minutes and then it's gone. And anybody wants, anyways, once they predict snow, nobody comes out of their house for another week. So you really got nothing to worry about. <laughs> somebody said, you know, it, it's Kroger's in cahoots with the weathermen. You know, they predict snow. Anyways, 90% of the time doesn't happen. They sell out of all their canned food, you know, and they keep this going every time they get too much supply. 
What's the point of Rabbi Yehuda? You have a great author saying this in the Talmud, that one who wants to be pious should pursue their focus and their growth in matters of damages. So let's see what the Nesiva Shalom says. Wasn't the world, <clears throat> one of the reasons why the, with the marble was it was like you know, small amounts of theft that would, you could really get away with? I mean, it was an interpersonal type of a thing, which seems related to this as well. Okay, 100%. Abby, you're right on target. <clears throat> let's see, we'll see how the Nesiva Shalom fleshes this out, but exactly correct in the area that you're going in. Rabbi Yehuda Aymer, we'll read this paragraph and then we're going to go off the paper and I'll try and elaborate based, elaborate based on the exposure that I've had in my life. Rabbi Yehuda Aymer, This is what Rabbi Yehuda said. He said, focus and be attentive to the matters of damages. You know what, this is, this is the what his statement that he's trying to give is actually the fundamental statement in being great between man and his fellow. That's the statement. How so? As follows. He's not talking about after you damage somebody. That you need to pay back for what you did and you need to apologize. He's not talking about that you threw something through their window and of course you need to pay back. That's not what he means. Because what did he say? If you want to be what? If you want to be pious. If you want to be great beyond the letter of the law. If you want to be somebody special. That's not something special to say I pay you back when I, when I, when I crash your car, when I scratch your car, I pay you back. That, that's just the letter of the law. If you don't pay somebody back when you hit their car, you're a criminal. <laughs> it's not that you're not pious. You're a criminal. You're a thief. Okay? So that's not what we're talking about. This is what Rabbi Huda meant when he said, focus your attention on matters of damages. Elamili dechasidus. What it means is, the pious aspect of this is, is this person who initially, before anything bad happened, they were careful, that it shouldn't ever come out from them, any damage or pain or harm to anybody, around them. That's the piety. Piety is not after something goes wrong, fixing it. That's of course. That's basic humanity. That's rules. Piety is when we start to be attentive and say, before anything happened, how do I make sure that nothing will happen from anything I do that will cause any harm or damage? I just want to set a, a, a one remark before before I continue. <laughs> the topic that we're about to go into, an analysis of ourselves, may come across as slightly critical. Don't mean this in any way negative, but we are real seekers of growth. And sometimes the way we need to get the next level is to be a little bit critical of ourselves. But... This is going to be a, a realistic analysis of, of perhaps where we might fall short in the ramifications. And if it ever comes across harsh, it's just so that their message sinks into us that we should work on this. 
Of course, we understand work is in progress. We understand why we mess up. It's not a, we don't really in shock of how anybody could do something wrong. But at the same time, we need to be critical so that we could hit the next rung on the ladder. And this is a very important one. He says, like you find in that very same piece in the Talmud, when he said that statement, right before he said that statement, it gave the following example or story in the Gemara. Chassidim HaRishayim, about these pious people from earlier generations. Shahu Matsniim they used to hide their thorns, whatever they were, they would you know, take care of their landscaping, and they'd have these thorns, and they would have glass pots they weren't using, or things that were shattered. What did they do with them? They would be careful, these people who were pious, that they would hide them in their field, in their yard, a foot deep into the ground. Why? The Gemara says they were worried that if I put it any more shallow, when the plow comes, this thing will go shooting out. Who knows who it'll hit? Now, come on! If the plow is going to come, it's going to hit there, it'll go flying out, it'll hit somebody standing right there. Maybe. Maybe. What's going to be if it does? My glass that I put on the ground ended up hurting somebody. They would take the time and the effort to bury it a foot into the ground. So that they could avoid any possibility that another person could be harmed through their actions. That before anything went wrong, they were so cautious. That there should be no way that this can cause any harm or pain or anguish to anybody else. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to be the cause of anybody else's pain or loss. This is what Rabbi Yehuda was saying. You want to be pious. You want to be great. You want to be really great in between you and another person the way Hashem wants you. Keep your eyes on the matters of damages. That you should be careful. we got to be careful. That we shouldn't, heaven forbid, cause any monetary damage to anyone around us. And even more so, sometimes we think money is more important because there's legal, there's legal stature to money. You took his money. He demands the money. But even more so, the gufoy, that you shouldn't harm them, their body, the chen bedibur, and with your, not just that you do something that causes a physical harm, but what about speech, or any way, that could cause pain and damage? That's what it means to be truly great between a person and their fellow man the way God wants them to. What's he saying? Unbelievable, right? The word mean payback, not mean complete. It, does, it doesn't mean payback, it means complete here. So this is the aspect of being complete. He's quoting a line from the Marsha. The Marsha said, you need to be complete with your friends. He said, this is the completion of being that level of complete with your friends. And the Steve Shalom is saying, that what, what Rabbi Huda is saying, is that there's a demand on all of us that we have to be appreciate the responsibility that we have in the re- reactions and the fallout of everything we do. 
And Marvin Rubenstein, I was talking about this with him, and he, he mentioned, yeah, you know, it's like when you first learn to drive, what do they tell you to do? They say you got to be a defensive driver, right? Defensive driver means it's your responsibility to make sure that no matter what happens out there, your driving doesn't end up getting to a situation where it harms somebody else. Preventative driving, defensive. You drive defensively so that nothing should end up coming out. Why? Because a car is a dangerous thing, right? Anybody feels that way, you get behind the wheel if you're not being responsible. It's dangerous. You know a vehicle is far more dangerous than your car? You. Yeah, you. Includes your mouth. For sure your mouth. There's so many aspects of you driving the vehicle of yourself throughout life that what was reminding us is that we have to be preemptive and defensive livers. People who live in a way that we think about not what we get out of the situation, but how this will impact those around us. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that. Uh, so what, what part of this is halacha, like building a fence around your roof? That there's a halacha, right? It's an actual <coughs> command to build a fence so that no one will fall off your roof. But all of these little, like you know, you've got an axe handle. Is it a halacha that you have to, you know, make sure your axe, your axe head is attached to? You? Are these actually spelled out legal laws that we have? So the answer is. There's an entire tractate called Baba Kama, which, you know, as soon as I leave, you can feel free to take it off the shelf and go for it. But it's a massive discussion, this point, which is all the nuances of really working out exactly when you left your, your thing in, 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 in outside and somebody tripped over it. You know, you put your garbage bag in, you know, sometimes they take the, 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 the branches, right? You have them do your branches. Take the branches and they put them towards the front. And since they don't come around for a while before they take those branches, they tend to migrate into the sidewalk area. Now, all these are your branches. Over there. Are they yours? Are they legally yours at that point? All these are detailed discussions exactly when you can be penalized by court. By court. Some of the responsibility, even if the court can't find you or find you responsible, there's still what we call between a person and Hashem, their responsibility. And some will be even beyond that, which will be, no, maybe you're legally excused. But you're not morally excused. Because there's the sensitivity to think about our actions, which is what we're here to say. So then the final question is, is that, you know, unless you have precedent, how would you possibly be able to have every... In a little situation where right. we could be morally held accountable, legally held accountable. I mean, we've got massive volumes of precedent just over the last 200 years in our legal system. I, I did not catch that question. Say it again. So, in other words, <laughs> there's so many different situations that you could find yourself in right. that couldn't possibly be go. included in the Gemara. No, because the Gemara doesn't do what our legal system does. Our legal system works on precedence, which means what was the previous case, what did they decide, and now is this case like that or not like that. What the Gemara does is it hammers out the core principles that define the cases. Mm. And then it's a question of applying those principles to each case as they come up and seeing does it fit or does it not fit. So you rely on the judgment <clears throat> in each case then, pretty much. Yeah, well, the Gemara gives the very clear guidelines as it works them all out, and then correct, then you have the Paiskin, 
which I guess in a certain way is our blood. It's hard to say subjectivity. Subjectivity sounds like it's the um, the whim of the judge. This is the question of understanding the truth enough to know, does this match with that? And yes, it's subjective in the fact that every human mind is somewhat subjective, but it has to do with trying to get to the core of this truth, and is this the same? And maybe you'll have debates on some issues. Did this fall in or not? But I say, I don't like the, the idea of subjective. Subjective sounds like, we're in a gray area, now I'll do what I feel like. I mean, like, that's why we would have a phase with three different people arbitrating figuring out the, the, the applications of these truths correct mm-hmm. and then you could have a gray area yeah absolutely it, it happens that they have to work out whether something applies or not <clears throat> but again let's not forget that the Nesiv Shalom told us that this is not just about your branches and somebody tripping over it but this has to do with all pain and suffering that could come about through any of our actions anything. We're responsible for everything. He said, yes, of course it means they buried their things a foot down. But what about the way we talk? What about the way we act? And I would like to go through, and therefore we're going to go off script here, off the paper. I shouldn't say off script. Off the paper, and I really want to tell you, because the second I saw this, it clicked. It was like a, it was like a thunderbolt. I was, ah, this, this brought me right back. Because I went to Yeshiva Chavetzchayim, and they are a, they like to pride themselves in being a Musr Yeshiva. And uh, they focus a lot on this type of growth, and particularly interpersonal growth and sensitivity. And who is the founder of what we call the, Ma- the Muslim movement, the modern Muslim movement? Rabbi Sol Salanter, right? And I'm hearing this, and I'm reading this, and I'm saying, ah, this takes me right back to all the stories we heard in Yeshiva back when I was in high school from Rabbi Sol Salanter, how we did. And I want to share these stories with you, because in this type of area, the words are easy. We got it. Be careful. Be sensitive. But it's the stories that make them real and recognize what it means to apply them in the real life. And I remembered some of the stories. I wanted to go back, and astonishingly, I took the Sparks of Musser. Some of you got that after the last time I spoke so highly of it. I still think it's a wonderful book. And I opened it up to Rabbi Shosanta to find some of the stories I remembered, because I remembered Rabbi Shosanta used to pound the table about this. These laws, the laws of money, your money, if you have somebody's money, you, you, it's a responsibility. One penny of somebody else's that's in yours, in your domain is your job. You're not free. We are responsible people. And we have responsibilities that are real and binding and define us if we ignore them. And all these types of sensitivities. And I looked, I opened it up to get some of these stories. And sure enough, what does it say? This is unbelievable. I had no idea. It says, right there in his little box, how appropriate that he died the week of Parshas Mishpatim, since that was his message that he was trying to spread to the world. I couldn't believe it. Here, Mishpatim, I saw this. It clicked right away with Rabbi Sosalander, and right there it said, he died this week of this Torah reading. And they felt that that was very appropriate. And I'll just give, I'll give some examples, but the point is, we have this responsibility. We have a responsibility. I remember the story was said, and I checked it out, that Rabbi Sol Slanter was walking with somebody, another rabbi, and he had a cane. He had a decorative cane, so he swung it under his arm, it was poking out behind him, right? So Rabbi Sol said to him, Rabbi Sol Slanter said to him, hey, you, you can't see where the back of the cane is. You have something that's poking out, you know, it could hit anybody. You got, how could you do that? 
So the Rav said, oh, oh, sorry. And he put it straight. He said, a few minutes later, absent-mindedly, of course, he swung the cane back again. So that bothered Rabbi Sosanda so much, he couldn't continue the conversation. How could you absent-mindedly swing your cane back? I just told you that it could hurt somebody. I'm saying, I'm saying, let's not let this get too harsh. We understand where the rabbi was coming from, like we understand where we are coming from. But let's hopefully take Rabbi Sosanda's emphasis Bring it into our lives. How could you swing it back there? Somebody could get hurt. There's a responsibility that people don't get hurt. There's a responsibility that when things belong to other people, that we treat them a certain way. But not always the way you think. Rabbi Shol Salanta was once in Shul. Small Shul. Got very stuffy. What did they do? Open the window. What did the guy who was feeling very warm do? He stood in front of the window. Shaul Salanta said to him, you're a thief. <laughs> Everybody wants there. How are you blocking there? You can't come into the show. Come, can't come into the show. This is a sensitivity that we have to grow into. But I'm telling you, I've been hearing this since I was in high school. It changes your perspective. We have to grow in this sensitivity to realize that our actions have ramifications. And those ramifications, when they involve other people, they require our sensitivity. How does it impact the other person? If we want to be great in our dealings with other people, we have to become firstly focused on other people and not just focused on ourselves. And there's a process of sensitivity. When you start to develop the sensitivity, you, you start to become slightly aghast sometimes at some of the things you see going on because you become sensitive to other people's needs and you realize that people are treading on other people's needs. But it happens, it's naturally. But this is the sensitivity sensitivity that we're trying to remember. Somebody with this financial responsibility, and a person needs to know, if you owe somebody a dollar because you were financially irresponsible or didn't pay back or didn't live up to what you were supposed to live up to, I don't want to scare any of us, but uh, there's ideas of having to come back as like a fish to repay a buck, Okay. Yeah, I don't want to scare anybody, but 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 this is real. money is a real responsibility. Yeah, yeah, to come back as a fish so that that person could end up eating the fish on choppers and he gets his buck back from you. Really? No, seriously, I don't want to go down that path because we have too much to talk about. But it's a very real thing. These are real responsibilities. We're accountable because we're great enough to be accountable. Okay, Rabbi Shol Salanter, once somebody was in the, they were in the train station. The fellow had no idea. Rabbi Shol Salanter at that time he was one of the leaders. Of, of jewelry. These fellow didn't recognize him as before the internet. Nobody knew what anybody looked like. Right? So, Rabbi Shol, he's standing there, he has his little suitcase. He needs to go, he needs somebody to watch it. So he turns to a nice looking fellow next to him, he says, could you watch my suitcase? Sure. The fellow leaves. Okay. This comes up in this power show. What happens if somebody says, can you watch this, can you hold this, or lend something to you? It's your, it's your responsibility. It's instantly, you are now a, a guard, a watchman on that item. That's a responsibility. All of a sudden, the rest of the Jews of the chain station, they realize that he's the great giant, that he is Torah giant. They crowd around him and it's becoming a big crowd. They want him to move over to one of the sides and talk to them and inspire them, right? Let's move over to a better area. So they try and sort of lead, you know, when the mob surrounds them, they try and lead you away. And Yisrael said, I'm not, I can't, I can't leave this. You see this little ratty suitcase? I'm not leaving this suitcase. Why? Why? Because, because I'm a watchman. Somebody asked me to watch this. 
Papa, there's so many people, but let somebody else take over. That's not legally allowed. That's not allowed. That's not the responsibility. He trusted me, and that's my responsibility. I'm not budging. If we had any... Also, you have to worry about how you tell somebody, like the man in front of the window, if you act like he was inconsiderate, then you you hurt his feelings. So, <clears throat> publicly embarrassed. Oh, uh, we're going to get there. Very good. Okay, that's true. Absolutely, the words. Okay, right now we're talking about, I'm just, we're, we're, we're going to gradually get into, uh, but I want to talk first, I'm talking about here, the idea of hurting somebody, you know, it, it, this is something that takes place on the men's side, but I'll, I'll say it for anybody who listens to the recordings, okay? If you daven on the men's side, chakras, then you have undoubtedly been whipped by somebody's talus. There's no question. Because the way you put on a talus is you fling it over your shoulders, and undoubtedly you got lashed right across your face at some point. Now, here's the interesting thing. Everybody's been whipped. And everybody's still whipping. Right through here. <laughs> the, it behooves us, after the first time we were whipped, to say, one second, this process hurts people. I need to tame the flicking action. Okay? You got... What? Yeah, exactly right. You guys are protected. That's why, right? And, and this is, but it's interesting that nobody reacts that way. And the reason is, it's not our frame of mind to ask ourselves what's happening with what I'm doing. I'm not in a bubble, and what I do has real consequence, and is my responsibility to make sure somebody's not being hurt. What looking at the other person before you look for yourself. Correct. It seems so simple, right? But it's a training. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. And it's particularly because there are certain things which are flagrant. But there are certain things which are natural fallout. And this idea of heightening the sensitivity is to recognize the fallout of our actions. A famous Rebbe Saul story, they saw him washing his hands. And they saw him using a minimal amount of water. That which is allowed halachically, but it was minimal. And in halacha, it's preferred that you use more. They said, Rebbe, you're, you're a great person. Why are you using the bare minimal water? And he said, because where does this water come from? It's, it's, it's that orphan girl over there who's hired to bring the water from the well every time it runs out. If I use more water, then she makes more trips to the well. What right do I have to make her go to the well more times? Huh? It's fallout, inconveniencing somebody. Doesn't mean you never can, but it means first and foremost to be aware. When is it inconveniencing somebody and is that worth it? Do you mean to? Do you think you should be inconveniencing that other person, making them put in that effort? You know, there's a no parking sign in front of the school's side gate. Right in front of the gate, there's no parking between these two signs. Why? Because when, when somebody comes, that's the easiest way to get to the to get to the gate, and they don't have to walk on the grass. It's, it's the most convenient. Somebody running late, what happens? They park in between those two signs. Uh, you're running late, yes. But what about the next person who's coming? How will they will walk on the muddy grass? They will. Their inconvenience matters. It matters. Rabbi Sol Salanta used to say. Somebody else's physical needs are your spirituality. 
Their physicality is your spirituality. The idea of being a great individual is spiritually great, is to care about other people's physicality. <clears throat> and I'm going to go through here, and I hope this sounds, you know, just this was an analysis of my own life, we'll call this. Okay, so we'll go through an analysis of my own life, and if any of this applies to you, please apply it. Okay, I was going through, where, where are the areas that this comes up? Okay, we'll try and touch on a few. And then I'll, I'll hopefully tell you a, some stories that will blow your mind. There's a constant, a constant sensitivity. Lushan Hara. Talking about other people negatively. Negatively. Now, yes, it's, it's forbidden. We're not allowed to say something negative about somebody else if it's not for a productive purpose. Okay? But sometimes we don't, you know, something's, something's not allowed that doesn't get us inspired to do it. No, it hurts the individual you speak about. When we say something negative, ah, it's true, it's this, it doesn't matter. You know those words cannot be undone. And sometimes they cause a monetary loss, sometimes they don't. They do something far worse. They impact the person's actual life. I'm going to give you one little example that seems so insignificant, but it happened in my own life. And I was surprised by, by how impossible it was to undo. Somebody's telling me this story. And they're telling me a story not about anybody in Memphis. And they're telling me, and the story was meant to be positive. The story was about how they basically re... Let's just say they, they developed a, a better appreciation for an individual that they didn't at first appreciate. So the end of the story is very nice. They appreciate the person, right? Now the beginning of the story was how annoying the guy was to him. Okay? I mean, this one person, you know, he was just so annoying, no, annoying. And then he made one crucial error, and this is a halachic error. The person told me who he was referring to. And that moment, all that, he was so annoying, so annoying, just connected with an individual. Yes, it just became lush and horror, that's not allowed. Okay, but let's just talk about the fallout for it. Okay? And then, but the point of the story, I get why the person made the mistake. They were saying a positive story. But then I recognized the following happened with that fellow and I realized that he's actually such a wonderful person in other ways. After that conversation, I used to see this person around all the time. I could not stop myself from thinking that he's annoying. I'm not just telling you an honest truth. The guy seemed annoying to me. And I would see the guy, and he felt annoying. Obviously, the person was a little annoying, right? For the person to feel he was annoying. But I never thought about the guy for two seconds. And now I couldn't get out of my head, he's annoying. You know, I spent years seeing this guy and trying to eradicate this feeling from me. He's not annoying. You don't think he's annoying. Why do you care what so-and-so said? No, no, no. Years. I never got it out of me. You have told that person when they said the story, should you have said to him? Depends on the situation. Depends on if you think it'll be receptive and productive. In the the specific position that I was in, in that storytelling, I was in no position to really say that. So I couldn't. But I was almost stunned myself by the fallout that this person actually meant to say a good story. But those negative comments stuck in somebody else and they couldn't come out. So imagine somebody's bothering you and so you say something negative. Do you ever mean 
to actually change that? Do you really feel, well, you know what, I'm having a rough time with this person. I think all their relationships should change with everybody. Do you really think that? No, you don't mean that, right? I don't think they really deserve to have a good relationship with anybody. No, I think we should end that. They don't mean to spread that, right? You don't mean that. You're just venting. You're just saying it's something that bothered you. But the fact is, whoever you say that to is going to connect that with that person. And it doesn't just wash away. It's an impact. It's an imprint. It's this real. Imagine, you know, overlaying what you just said on a discussion of anything about Israeli politics. What do you mean? In other words, you know, you want to talk about discussing, you know, something political in Israel. They're all Jewish. You can't mention anybody's. Like exceptional Lashonara. Yeah, everybody likes to talk politics or yeah. people. It is true. That it, 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 it's a, it, it's a true that in, in, in people who have a public position, there's a right. you know extreme insensitivity because it feels like well, this it's so public. And, and again, the intricacies of the application and the nuanced halacha each situation, but, but by and large, negativity about a, another person is a problem. But again, the sensitivity, because I don't even think we meant that that should happen. The recognition is that it does happen. And this impact has to do with emotional. The fallout of our actions emotionally. Somebody once said, this area right here is a public domain. Your face is a public domain. What goes on on your face, everybody sees and it impacts everybody. And there's a real truth to that. And that's a recognition of the influence that we hold over the people around us and our surroundings. And you know, what happens? Somebody, uh, something's going on, you're in a bad mood. <clears throat> so you come in and you, you send out a little negativity. And obviously, there, some of this is hard, you're not gonna get it all down. But the point is, what happens? Oh, why not? I just unleash, what a, da, 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 da. And you're like, no, 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 it's not even lush and it's not about somebody specific. But what is it? You just pour out some negativity out there. What happens? I tell you some witnesses in my own life. I told you this is right here is a biography here. Okay? Tell me a biography. I've noticed this. Come home, something bothering me. Come into the house, and I, I, you know, I express a frustration or whatever. Especially if that's like the first thing that, like, and I, oh, right? I was in a fine mood. Then, like an hour later, I noticed the succession. You know, kids can be aggravating. You need a lot of patience, a lot of positivity to deal with them sometimes, right? And I realize an hour later, things are not in a great position. And I realize, Shuki, it's your fault. You did this. Because had you come smiling, everyone would have continued being in a good enough mood to handle all the little bumps that would have happened after. And you came in with a different type of vibe, and that permeated a little bit. And everybody was a little weaker footing, a little more fragile. And then the things that aggravated, again, we're not angels. We're not perfect. But a recognition of what's happening from what we do. How we walk in. If you're not feeling the mode, don't walk in or work on it or try and figure it out the best that we can so that we're not spreading a bad mood around. 
spread a bad mood, it's contagious. And the same is the other way, by the way. In another class, we'll say how great the positive is. The good words are contagious. The positive feeling is also contagious and gives that one strength. But the responsibility to recognize that what happens when we go in, what happens when we say a person's in a conversation, you know, we Americans, we like to say we have freedom of speech. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't have the right to say whatever you want. You have the right to say whatever is beneficial and good for everyone around you. You're in a conversation with somebody you think is a free-for-all. They, you just say whatever you want. person says, oh, you see the new shoes I, I got? I got, you know, I paid a hundred bucks for these shoes. Oh, wow, that's very expensive. Hey! You're not entitled to say that. You just hurt them. That's actually halachically called a nas devam. It's actually forbidden. But my point here is your sensitivity. How can you say you got ripped off? How can you say that? They say, do you like the way it's looking? No, you know, whatever. I don't think it's so good. Now they're, they just purchased it. Now they feel bad about it. What about the pain they feel? Mili de chasidos. Mili de nezikin. Damages. Somebody said they were in Lakewood. They heard of Aaron Cutler getting up and he was screaming at the podium to the Bachram, the guys learning there. He said, you guys are shooting out arrows into people. There's arrows flying out of you and you think you're just making jokes. Well, we're making jokes. Making jokes. You make a comment here, a comment there. I remember when I was in elementary school, the head of the elementary school but went right into my bones. You know, elementary school kids have zero sensitivity. It's just zero. And about where did I gain the first beginnings of sensitivity? It was from him, Rabbi Bender, Rabbi Yaakov Bender. He used to get a, gather us all for an assembly. And he used to say, you say something negative to somebody. And he used to scream, daggers! Daggers are going into the other person. Stabbing the other person. Ah, oh, you're free. You feel comfortable doing that? Daggers! And the kids, you know, you're like, went back into your seat, you know? He had this other great trick he used to do. He used to just, in the middle of the speech, go, You! And I went, Ah! <laughs> A panic, right? You! Dad! But the point was, Wow! Where's the, where's the sense of responsibility? For what we say, you're in a conversation with somebody. You're objective in that conversation. Of course you could share your opinion. Assuming it's beneficial and helpful. No, if you think something negative, you don't have freedom of speech to just throw that out there. Somebody's getting hurt on the other side. I have the right to hurt people. We don't hurt people. That's so simple. We don't hurt people. We don't have that right. Complaining, fanning the flames, very relevant in communities. People have an issue, a gripe. It's fine. You don't like that, you don't like that. Not a big deal. Everyone's entitled to not like something. It's not a problem until it starts to become churned. Until you start kicking up the dust. Until you start getting together and talking about it. And letting it become bigger and bigger. To think about that. Do you, do you mean, do you mean to be putting the divide that much deeper? Do you mean to be spreading these people further apart? Do you mean to focus everyone's attention on that one negative point instead of 
helping everybody to see all the positive points. Do we mean to do that? Oh, it's just a schmooze. We just conversation, right? Conversation went there. We shouldn't go there. We shouldn't go there. This all sounds like me, and I'm sharing with you my history. It's true. I'm sharing with you what I was taught since I was young. It's true. It's a very, very meaningful part of my life, personally. This sensitivity. Every soul Salanter's message. The idea of Musar growth, internal growth, sensitivity towards others. Sensitivity towards others. Somebody once said to every soul Salanter, you know, you spend so much time focusing on this. You spend so much time studying it. When you come up to the next world and they give you the, the stender, the lectern, to give your grand Torah speech, you're going to have nothing to say. Because you didn't spend time studying Torah. You were too busy working with this. It was so long to reply to him. And if you don't have good character, do you think they're giving you the lectern? Do you think they're asking you to speak? Who we are in our actual essence and self and sensitivity towards others. I want to tell you, sounds like maybe this man's going too far. He's just uh, saying all the things he learned when he was a kid. This is true. Is this accurate? Now we'll go back to the paper and I'll read you something that I, I, I think should stun you. Famous story, Yehuda and Tamar. Remember it? Yehuda goes out and his daughter-in-law Tamar whose husbands had died and was halachically allowed to marry her father-in-law by the idea of a Leverite marriage we're not going into all the details her father-in-law did not think they should be married but she was correct they were entitled to be married so she dressed herself up as a prostitute to be with him he had no idea it was her she knew it was him. She, he hadn't the money to pay. He gave her his signet ring, a cloak, certain things that were to be, um, what do you call it? Redeemed. Yeah, what do you, what do you call it? When, when you give something to, to guarantee that you'll, a guarantee, a guarantee for the payment. Right. So, later, what happens? They find out that Yehuda's daughter-in-law is pregnant, but she's not married. So they go up in arms. She's an adulteress. She needs to be punished. The halacha requires she actually be burned. It's a very, very severe punishment. They bring her to on her way to get the, 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 the legal consequences for her actions. And she says, the person to whom these items belong, that is the person that I was with. She takes out the signet ring. Now she knows it's Yehuda. She knows it's Yehuda. What does she say? The person that these belong to, that's who I was with. What should she have said? It's Yehuda. Everybody calm down. There's no problem. It's Yehuda. Okay, I'm going to read this Rashi in English. You have it? I'm sorry. There's a little bit of a printing error there, but read it with me. Bottom of the first page. Why did she say... Whoever this belongs to is the one that's it. Why didn't she say, Yehuda, it's you? Yehuda was ruling at that time. Why didn't she say, Yehuda, it's you? Don't throw me in the fire. 
says Rashi right there. It's from a Gemara. She did not wish to shame him by saying, it's from you that I am pregnant. Instead, she said, by the man who these belong to. That's who I was with, whoever these belong to. She thought, if he admits it, let him admit it himself. And if not, let them burn me and let me not put him to shame. From this passage, our rabbis derive the teaching. Better that a person let themselves be cast into a fiery furnace and avoid publicly shaming his friend. So that Rashi is a Gemara. Better to be thrown in a furnace than to publicly shame somebody. Embarrassing somebody is tantamount, says the Talmud, to murder. I said this is a harsh one, guys, so let's try and keep the positivity. We're just being critical so that we could grow, okay? But, but we have to understand that we need to, we need to, we need to jolt sometimes a little bit. Yeah. She sent it to him, but what, it was in front of other people when he got them. It says that she sent to her father-in-law those Correct. things. And she said it's from you. Were other people around when... It, well, she had no... She didn't want him himself to be... I mean, she can, meaning, if she's being taken away right now to be to be thrown in the fire, so what should she say? She could say. She said that in front of everyone. She <laughs> sent right. She said in front of everybody you know, to stop them from dragging her away. Whoever these belong to is the one that is. It's not she said it straight to him. That's what I was wondering. Well, it was in public because the whole thing was a public. Uh huh. You know, correct. It was a public. It was a. What I would call public fire was really public. It's a bezdin. So it's a court case. They're the ones who noticed that she had this responsibility, right? So they said, oh, what would she do? She said, no, continue throwing me. I'm not going to say it's him. It's wild. It's wild. But the responsibility towards somebody, the responsibility towards another, to, that, that, to know that when a person is embarrassed, that that's tantamount to murder, that murder that we don't, we don't, we don't. I'll tell you an amazing story. We don't hurt people. But I'm in a bad mood. I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Oh, so that person did something wrong. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Why? Question for you. Question for us before we go give them a piece of our mind. For whose sake? For theirs or for ours? For ours to vent, right? Who gave us the right to vent our emotions at the expense of somebody else's feelings? You need to vent. Get a therapist. <laughs> there are people you can pay that are no problem listening to your venting. But really what I mean is, obviously you need to sometimes emotionally. You get a third party who's not going to, and you can vent and sometimes you need to it's healthy. But you go to that person and you just pour it out on them. And they're probably, you know, it's, they're, they're embarrassed, they're hurt. Who gave us the right? Who gave us the right? Treading on people. Yisrael Yaakov Lubchansky was the Mashkiach in Baranovich. Tell you an amazing story I heard. Amazing story I heard. He was the Mashkiach in Baranovich. He was also the Rav of a shul for a while. So in his shul, they had the Gabai, the Shamish, would be the one to start the fire in the, in the morning. Well, anyways, he was getting pretty lazy at his job and you know, he stopped showing up. And the people were complaining. Like this, somebody's got it, we got a fire, we got something that's not warm by the time we come to show. So they complained to the rabbi. 
They said, can you, uh, you know, fire him? He said, well, I'll fire him. No, no, no. Well, maybe I'll talk to him. I'll talk to him. The rabbi spoke to him, and sure enough, lo and behold, after that, the fire was always on by the time they came to Shul. Who do you think was doing it? The rabbi, because of the sensitivity. Not just because this guy's not doing his job, we should. No, I'll, I'll take the responsibility so that he doesn't get shamed or confined. So there the rabbi is waking up early every morning, going to Shul to light the fire so that nobody should complain and be upset at the gabai. One day, who can't sleep at night and gets up early? The gabai. He comes to the Shul and he sees somebody and they're starting the fire. He thinks to himself, I'm the guy who's supposed to start the fire, right? If anybody's here this early morning, it's a schlepper from the neighborhood who's just making himself comfortable in the Shul. What on earth? A chutzpah, right? It's the rabbi who's saving his face, right? So he goes in there, and the rabbi is in the fire trying to blow it and get it to go. So he can't see who it is. So he comes over, and he starts hitting him. He starts hitting him and kicking him. Hey, schlepper, get out of here. What are you doing? Trying to they use the show for your own. You know, this is not a hotel. The rabbi realizes, what happens if he pulls his head out of the oven right now? Can you imagine how mortified the is going to be? So he just stays in there. And then the Gabi starts yelling. The fire's getting bigger, starting to get hot. So the Gabi backs up a little bit. Yeah, what are you doing, Schlepper? Get out of here, right? Rabbi keeps his face right there in the oven. Finally, after yelling and yelling, the Gabi realizes this, this Schlepper is not going anywhere. He continues on his morning walk around. They don't forget this guy, right? Only then did Rabbi Lubchansky take out his face out of the oven. At that point, his entire beard was burnt off. He shows up at home and his wife goes, Honey, what happened? <laughs> what on earth just happened? So he said, he said the story. So she said, What would you have done had he not left at that point? It already burnt your whole beard off. What would you have done had he not left? He says, the Gomorrah says that to not embarrass somebody, you have to be willing to be thrown into a fire. Certainly, you can't jump out of a fire to embarrass somebody. Who would have stayed there? He wore a bandage around his face for the next like five months claiming he had a toothache so that nobody should know that his beard was burnt off. So nobody should ever know Nobody should ever know that the Gabba is not getting up, that, that he was filling in, that the Gabba yelled at him, that his bird, beard was burning. No, no, never, never. Why? Because we, that's what we care about people. We don't embarrass. The Haftalarecha Kamaycha says in the Torah, we love somebody else like we love ourselves. As much as we want ourselves to be treated well, we treat other people. What does he do? Is Rebbe Kiva. Amar Rebbe Kiva, Zekal Gadabatayra. This is a fundamental idea in the Torah that we care about others. I'll leave you with one unbelievable story. There's a, the Ribnitzer was a great, great Sadiq that lived here in America. And they wrote a book about him. And one of the people who were close to him said he saw many astonishing things by the Ribnitzer, but the following story was the single greatest act that he ever saw by the Ribnitzer. He said the Ribnitzer's wife passed away. And the Ribnitzer wanted her buried in Eretz Yisrael. Wanted her to be transferred to Israel. One of his guys that were very close to the Ribnitzer, obviously an interesting fellow, didn't want the burial to be in Israel. Because he was convinced that if the Rebbe's wife will be buried in Israel, it's only a matter of time before the Rebbe moves there and then we'll lose our great rabbi. 
obviously a very selfish type of thinking, right? He proceeded to do everything he could to hijack the success of the Rebbe getting his wife buried in Israel. And the day of the few as they're trying to get him to the flight, this guy is doing everything. He's telling them the wrong information. He told them the wrong airline. He's going out of his way and the rebel really wants to get his wife there. And he's, at, he's actively trying to sabotage this at such a sensitive time, at such a heartbroken time, such an important time. And this guy's just absolutely maliciously trying to sabotage the whole thing. Unbelievable. Everybody's in shock. The Rebbe doesn't say nothing. They just, they manage, despite this guy's best efforts, to succeed at getting his wife there. Okay. Afterwards, the Hasidim and the Rebbe gather in a room. I don't remember the exact circumstance, what the room was, a room and maybe a hotel that was there. They were trying to get her on the flight. Maybe they stayed at a hotel. And the Hasidim gather and they close the door and they lock and they're all spending time with their Rebbe. And who decides that he should come to spend time with the rabbi? This fellow who just spent the whole day trying to ruin the rabbi's life. So he starts knocking on the door. The Hasidim, no way, man. You have have no business being here after what you did. You have no business being here. They're not letting him in. This guy, you can see the type of fellow he is. Starts smashing on the door, right? How could you dare show your face here? Finally, the guy, in desperation and stubbornness, body slams the entire door. Just slams into the door. And the whole door comes off its hinges and goes... And the guy tumbles into the room. This guy, who just tried to ruin everything that this rabbi was working for, for his wife's burial, lands right there. And of course, what do you think? He blushes silly. He just crashed into the room. He said the rebel looked up and saw him sitting there, embarrassed. He said he jumped up, picked the guy up, brushed him off, brought him right up and sat him right next to him. Give him that honor or whatever. He's embarrassed. He feels uncomfortable there. Yeah, he tried to ruin my life. Yeah, he did. But right now, he's hurt. He's embarrassed. Chassid said, out of everything I ever saw my rabbi do, that was the single greatest act I ever saw. To care that much about somebody else, no matter what, no matter when, no matter how. And therefore, what we have going forward in Mitzvah Hashem, yes, yes, it means to be critical, critical of ourselves so that we remember that when we want to say something, we should think what happens when we say it. When we want to react a certain way, what happens? Let's remember my grandfather's advice. His secret to a good marriage, he said, was you have something to say? He said, he said how do you have such a good marriage? He said, I have a rule. That if I have something critical to say, I'm allowed to say it after 24 hours. He said, after 24 hours, almost most of the things I want to say, I realize I shouldn't say. And the things that I do need to say, I say them in a nice way. Yeah, the emotions are what are navigating most of these mistakes and insensitivities. So hopefully we recognize that when we want to rise up, we want to be pious, we want to be good, 
that a, a tremendous part of this is to become sensitive people to others, and not just in the areas that are gross and obvious, but in recognizing the fallout, the ramifications of what we do. One line, one chepper, one remark, one, one sneer, one chuckle. There, those things go out there and they can't be pulled back. We are responsible for them. You make fun of somebody's laugh, they will be self-conscious when they laugh for the rest of their life. For the rest of their life. Did you really mean to do that? I don't think we did. We're much nicer than that. So the recognition that these are the laws that we it comes from Sinai, yeah. The same Hashem that said, believe in Hashem, said we are great enough to take the center of gravity out of ourselves and recognize that there are other people around us, what we do matters, what we do impacts them. And when we recognize that, we could become sensitive, caring, and responsible people that go through our lives without accidentally hurting those around us. And then even better, once we really become sensitive, we will realize that we have the power to strengthen, invigorate, and infuse everyone around us with so much positivity and so much greatness and so much happiness. And when something negative is on their mind, we have the ability to give the positive feedback that changes the tone. When there's complaining, we have the ability to lend an aspect and a dimension that gives a new perspective on it. When people want to engage in a certain conversation, we have the ability to steer it elsewhere. And we truly do have the ability and the responsibility to bring everyone around us to a more positive, greater experience in life. May Hashem help us so that all of our actions and all of their ramifications should only be positive and bring joy to those around us.